Over the past few weeks, the government held a series of public events about matters of crucial national importance, our military neutrality and foreign policy. It was all in the hope, the government said, of prompting a national discussion about our security in a world of growing threats. Now, unfortunately, the nation has been busy discussing, well, something else entirely. It's a culture that's in there that accepts that, well, that's approved by the DG, so I'm not going to talk about it. RTE should never underwrite a commercial agreement. This was an act designed to deceive. If, like most people, you weren't paying attention to the Consultative Forum on Security Policy, what did you miss? A lot of expert opinions and in-depth discussion, and plenty of disruption. And I would like to thank the University, and in particular, Professor Andrew Cotty and his team for partnering with us in hosting this Consultative Forum. Look, it's not surprising the events inspired protest. Irish people are passionate about our neutrality and the issues discussed will affect Ireland profoundly in the coming decades. I'm Bernice Harrison and this is in the news from the Irish Times. Today, is neutrality the right policy for Ireland in the 21st century? What the experts said at the National Forum. Connor Gallagher is crime and security correspondent with the Irish Times. Connor, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now, to the extent that many people were even aware of the existence of this forum on national security, it was largely thanks to the comments shortly before it began of President Michael D. Higgins. Can you remind us about that? Yeah, the, the, the President Michael D. Higgins' uh, comments about the forum certainly gave it a lot of publicity well before it got started to the frustration of possibly some in the Department of Foreign Affairs. But it also caused people to pay attention to it. So maybe they should be thanking him. And, and Michael D. Higgins criticised the makeup of the forum, uh, slightly unfairly, in my opinion. He said it was made up of admirals, generals and Air Force, and Air Force people, when in fact it was very, very few military personnel serving and those, or uh, appearing and those that were appearing you know had something to say about specific issues and were irish personnel and he's the you know supreme commander of the defense forces uh he also do, you know there was that controversy over his comments about louise richardson who was chairing the forum a very very accomplished woman who is a dame of the british empire uh and michael d higgins said he, he made a note that there's a big uh, DBE uh, beside her name. Um, some people saw that as kind of a, a slight on her um, to the effect that we got the very unusual apology from the, the president or an apology for any offence caused. But that laid a spark and caused an outcry from opponents of the forum, you know, who said it was a stitch up, a way for the government to bounce Ireland into NATO, that the forum was stacked with pro-NATO people that the opposition didn't have any representation on the forum. I mean, the, the way it played out, people opposed to NATO and opposed to militarism um, actually were able to speak an awful lot because they were speaking from the floor. But I suppose the opposition did have a point in the fact that Michal Martin gave an address, uh, Eamon Ryan gave an address, and Neil Radker gave an address. They weren't part of the panels, but they gave standalone addresses. And there was no opposition figure um, permitted to, to, to give a standalone address. So maybe they had a point in that regard. Were opposition figures clamouring for participation? Opposition figures, I think, were more clamouring for a different format altogether. Some 
think there should be no debate at all. We're neutral, and that's how we should say. Others want to see a citizens' assembly, that far more formal process, which in which they hope might lead to a referendum to enshrine neutrality in the constitution. That's something the government are very much opposed to. You know, they say foreign policy should be a matter for politicians, not judges of the Supreme Court. But the opposition was mainly centered on the format rather than uh, them not being allowed to speak. Connor, I think that maybe it's fair to say that the news cycle in Ireland uh, has been a bit distracted this week. So before we talk about the essential takeaways of the Security Policy Forum, could you tell us why did it take place? Who was there? And was there a stated aim? So this forum was set up by Tanistan Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence, Michal Martin, to look at the international security picture, the threats facing Ireland uh, in terms of national security, where Ireland should develop its foreign policy and where Ireland needs to build capacity and where it has weaknesses in, in addressing national security threats. So it was over four days, one in Cork, one in Galway and two in Dublin Castle. It was essentially a kind of diet citizens assembly. You know, it's not going to have any legislative force. Um, its recommendations will not be as, you know, powerful as a citizens assembly and people taking part were, were selected on a, in a much less formal way, I think it's fair to say. And it was much more free flowing um, in that, you know, the audience could apply for tickets and could make contributions as they saw fit. The, the idea behind it, it probably comes from, you know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine in 2022 and increasingly uncertain international security environment influenced by climate change, energy prices, the, the kind of enfeeblement of the UN and other organizations such as the OSCE, that, you know, the government wanted to take a look at all of these issues. Of course, other people and some sectors saw it as a, as a way to bin Ireland's neutrality or to somehow bounce Ireland into uh, NATO. Okay, so you've painted sort of a very, very broad agenda for the four day forum. And you say that um, it was characterised by some sectors as as a plot by the government to bounce Ireland into NATO. What did we learn about the current relationship between Ireland and NATO? We learned a good bit. So only one panel was explicitly dedicated to NATO, uh, although it was a, a, a point of discussion in nearly every other panel, um, even when it was barely relevant. So the panel that did discuss it was discussing it in the context of Ireland's relationship with NATO, its external relationship with NATO as a member of what's called the Partnership for Peace. And as you know, Ireland's not a member of NATO, but we do have lots of uh, bespoke arrangements with NATO through this Partnership for Peace programme um, that involves such as training exercises, evaluation exercises, information and intelligence sharing, that sort of thing. It's really broad. And this panel was looking at the history of that and, you know, how that might develop. And the government is interested in uh, renegotiating that relationship with NATO so the defence forces could benefit from that kind of interoperability with other NATO members. And, and NATO is the gold standard for defence and security, uh, at least in the military sphere. So it's good for Ireland to 
keep up with it and to to look to it for standardization even if we aren't a member so that that part was very very interesting we had a uh, roberto o'brien a commander in the naval service who's uh, seconded to nato's capability development unit and, and she told us you know when you're talking about defending against things such as uh, maritime threats and hybrid threats and cyber uh, threats especially these are things countries can't do alone even large countries with large militaries much less ireland so it it makes sense to cooperate and, and share resources and information in those spheres we also and maybe this was kind of a standout line for me at least from that section we heard from a senior nato official called uh, james mackey and he's the alliance's director of security policy and partnerships and Obviously, uh, lots of people were asking, you know, or, 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 or kind of uh, commenting that Ireland was going to join NATO, that the government is trying to get Ireland into NATO by stealth. And he responded to that when he said, in his 20 years of working in NATO HQ, the issue of Irish membership has not once been discussed. It's never come up, he said, because Ireland is a sovereign independent nation. It chooses its own security policy. So my takeaway from that was NATO doesn't really think about ireland that much and isn't particularly interested in having us as a member not least because of the fairly poor state of our defense forces and our extremely low defense spending now the forum talked about neutrality and you've literally written the book on irish neutrality congratulations about that but the forum heard what it means and its benefits so what did it hear yeah, it was with the forum heard what it means, what it doesn't mean, and how hard it is to define it. Um, I, it full disclosure, I was moderating one of the the sessions on the history of neutrality, where we were talking to kind of historians about it, and they made some interesting points. Neutrality uh, was referred to as by one Department of External Affairs official during World War Two as a trackless desert, in that there's very little international law surrounding what defines neutrality, which means. Ireland and, and has and, and has always been able to define it to suit its own needs basically and that continues to be the case where we're a supposedly neutral country but we are still giving military equipment to Ukraine training Ukrainian soldiers you know involved with NATO but not a member of NATO involved with lots of European defence initiatives but not a member of a common Euro- European defence alliance because one doesn't exist. So neutrality is, is a very, very flexible uh, subject. And Ireland's definition is to be right now, it's that we're military neutral, which is just means that we're not a member of a, of a military alliance. But a, another really interesting uh, theme to emerge from some of the panels was this idea of positive neutrality. And this is something really valued by a lot of Irish people that we're not we're neutral, but we're not isolationist. We get involved in world affairs. We're very generous in overseas development. They, they, the budget's over a billion now, I believe. Uh, obviously, very, very involved in peacekeeping worldwide, very involved in nuclear non-proliferation and, and arms treaties at the UN level. So it's this kind of uh, positive, active neutrality. But we also heard from representatives from Norway. Uh, Norway is a founder member of NATO. It's got a big army. It's very defense conscious. And it has a, a much more impressive record uh, than Ireland in those areas of peace brokering and peacekeeping and, and that sort of thing. You know, their point is that neutrality is not essential to be a good global citizen. Uh, we also heard from the Swiss uh, representatives who are indeed neutral in the kind of the archetype neutral uh, nation. Uh, but even they kind of couched it a bit saying 
being neutral is helpful in, in certain circumstances. You know, they've got a peacekeeping force in Kosovo. If they were a NATO member, they mightn't be as welcome. Um, so not being in NATO is a, is a bonus there. And indeed, we have peacekeepers in Kosovo as well um, under a NATO banner, it should be said. But they, they, they also made the point that uh, sometimes it doesn't matter if you're neutral or not. Um, and it's only helpful in certain contexts. And maybe the standout quote from me was from uh, a Swiss academic who's head of a, a Swiss peace research organization who said, neutrality is not a religion. It's a foreign security concept. And it's something that has to be handled within the interests of the state. So it's not an ideology. It's, it's a way to further your, your, your own interests. I'll continue my conversation with Conor Gallagher after this short break. Well, now, anybody going up and down Dame Street uh, would have seen that there were protesters outside Dublin Castle. Did you get a sense of who the protesters were? Were they united in their aims? And what do they want? Uh, so the protesters came from a, a wide variety of groups, I think almost exclusively from the kind of left of the political spectrum. The The event started in Cork with protesters heckling uh, Michal Martin during his speech and it got a bit tense and they were removed by Gardaí. It remained tense in Galway. There were big protests down there. Uh, Margaret Darcy, the veteran anti-war campaigner, took to the stage and sat in one of the seats with a, with a sign demanding a citizens' assembly on this. She delayed matters for a while. And those protests continued in Dublin. But by the time the event got to Dublin, things the, the tension had kind of calmed down a bit. And I don't know if that's because... Some of the protesters or opponents of the forum thought that it wasn't an attempt to bounce Ireland into NATO or if just it had run out of steam to an extent or they'd, they'd felt they made their, their, had their point heard. But in Dublin, while there was a large protest on Monday morning, the events weren't really interrupted that much, the, you know, the panels themselves. So what we had was people would be called on to ask a question and someone would get up and they'd read a statement condemning NATO or condemning the US or demanding to know why uh, the government wasn't condemning the US over its invasion of Iraq 20 years ago. And that would happen even if the discussion was some really obscure discussion about cybersecurity or whatever. But then they'd sit down again and, and, and you know, the panelists would engage with the point or, you know, just move on to another more relevant question. So by the end of it, you know, they had a drinks reception afterwards, which a lot of the kind of protesters went to, you know. So uh, the tension had, had gone, that had eased a good bit uh, at the end of the four days. So one development the government hopes will stem from the forum is a review of what's called the triple lock. What is that and what reform is likely or even hoped for? Yeah, so the government has uh, has been at pains to say that the neutrality isn't going anywhere. We're not going to join NATO. But Michal Martin and Radker and even Eamon Ryan of the Green Party have said they want to see a review or changes to the triple lock. And the triple lock is a mechanism which uh, it's kind of a formula of words which states that if we want to send more than 12 armed troops abroad, we have to get three things. We have to have uh, approval by the doll, approval by the government and approval by the UN, which in, 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 in effect means a, a UN Security Council mandate. Now, the problem obviously is with that third prong. Security Council is 
deadlocked a lot of the time on these uh, on these matters to the extent that a new UN peacekeeping mission hasn't been established since 2014. Every member, every permanent member, and there's five permanent members, uh, has a veto over any decision on the Security Council. So that means, in effect, that Russia, China, or even the US, France, the UK, all the permanent members, could veto an Irish decision to send troops abroad because we need the, the UN mandate. Um, and some in government are deeply uncomfortable with this, particularly in light of the Ukraine war, in light of Ireland's time in the Security Council when it faced, oh, in 2021 to 2022, when it faced a lot of problems getting uh, humanitarian aid into Syria because Russia were blocking it. And they eventually succeeded after, uh, you know, kind of heroic diplomatic efforts. And it was one of the, the achieve, uh, major achievements of our time in the Security Council. But it brought home to them, um, the power the Security Council potentially has to block Irish peacekeeping missions. And it's not just the veto, it's the threat of the veto. So things don't get voted on in the Security Council unless they're sure that they're going to get get it through. So some a lot of peacekeeping proposals die in the cradle before they even get to the floor because one country has, has signaled that they'd use the veto. Now, I suppose when we think about neutrality, you know, and we tend to think about warfare, you know, with tanks and and guns. But the forum also heard about other forms of warfare. Could you talk us through that? Yes. So this is this idea of hybrid warfare, which is very much a buzzword in in those circles right now. And hybrid warfare is a really, really broad concept. It's basically any kind of warfare or threat that falls below the threshold of military action like a, a kinetic military action like you know firing missiles or dropping bombs on someone um, and i can include anything from cyber attacks espionage sabotage and national infrastructure you know um economic warfare disinformation interfering in, in national elections it, it seems to encompass nearly everything you know and in, in, in some respects it's not a very helpful term but we heard a lot about the hybrid threats ireland faces and 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 how ha- how in some ways we're lacking um, and, and we're playing catch up, particularly in the cyber area. One um, hybrid threat that got a lot of attention was this threat of disinformation. And, you know, we've seen Russia's attempts to destabilize uh, societies in Eastern Europe using online disinformation. We've seen similar things in African countries where Russia has a presence now. The United States saw similar attempts during the 2016 presidential election when Russian uh, basically bot farms and, and, and cyber criminals were uh, attempting to sow discord and, and, and spread, you know, the famous term fake news. Uh, got an interesting insight into scale of the problem from Art O'Leary and he's the head of this newly formed electoral commission in Ireland um, and they'll be overseeing elections uh, in Ireland next year, the local and European elections and maybe even a general election, who knows, but it's going to be their job to combat mi- disinformation. Art O'Leary described the scale of the problem as enormous um, and it says it's something Ireland will, will, will uh, have to deal with. He didn't say who the disinformation might be coming from if it's a nation state or actors or groups. He said they don't care. Their job is to kind of debunk the information and counter it and that will be done through you know, engaging with people on social media, working with kind of fact checkers and working with social media companies to try and persuade them to limit the spread of what's obviously uh, disinformation. Now, I think it's a sign of the times that, you know, where we are in the climate crisis, that climate change features. What was said about that? 
yeah, uh, disappointingly, there was no single panel dealing with climate change. Um, because as we've heard repeatedly during the forum, it's it's probably the biggest threat to 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 national security and international security, far more than anything um, else I've mentioned. You know, from an international view, climate change in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, in the Sahel region. That's already having causing conflicts over scarce resources. A lot of the conflicts in the Sahel region uh, relate to uh, 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 scarce resources, although they might have a, a political um, aspect as well. And well, how does that affect Ireland? Well, we've got peacekeepers there. We've had peacekeepers in the last few years in Chad, Central African Republic, uh, Somalia, uh, and all currently have um, some in Mali. So, you know, it puts them in danger as well. And also it creates pressures on home, such as, you know, mass uncontrolled migration, which put places pressure on resources in Ireland, can cause political division in Ireland, as we've seen, unfortunately, over the last year, um, you know, societal division. So, you know, there's there's lots of ways even climate risks on the other side of the world can impact Ireland and why it's in our interests to uh, to address them. And we've also heard about you know how militaries themselves are, are are a major source of climate change, particularly the U.S. military, which is startling. In fact, if it was a country, it would be the fourth largest polluter uh, in the world. Oof. Okay, so the forum's over. Four days of talking is over. Are we to expect anything concrete to happen? It's a good question. So because this forum was it's very unique and quite uh, loose kind of terms of reference. It's not at all clear whether anything concrete will emerge from it. So the chair, and it was chaired very ably by Louise Richardson, um, formerly of Oxford, um, and she, her job now is to write a report for government, and that will be based on contributions at the forum itself and also hundreds of online uh, submissions she's received. So she's going to take the summer to write that report. It'll be given to uh, government who can consider it, but they won't be obliged to act on it. And it won't even contain any recommendations. She told us yesterday, she says it'd be the government for the government to come up with recommendations. So it'll be, it might be a template to move the discussion forward. We might even see a citizens assembly on it, but I'd rule that out in the short to medium term purely for the matter of fact we've a lot of other citizen assembly to get through first but one of the other reasons the the government wanted to set up this forum was to create kind of more of a discussion a public discussion about security uh needs um and the international security picture and you know they wanted more media coverage of of the of the issue they wanted people talking about it around dinner tables you know they see it as the start of of a of a process i think of increasing awareness and conversation around these issues Thanks very much, Connor. Thank you. That's it for today. For in-depth reports and analysis from Connor Gallagher, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon and John Casey. In the news, we'll be back on Wednesday. <laughs>